0: Welcome to the Jay Davis Show. Today I'll be co hosting with my friend Jess Larson. Jess, do you want
1: to kick us off? Today on the show, I've got Alex Bean. Alex, thanks for making time. Hey, thanks, Jess. Look forward to So, besides the uh, big announcement here on Wednesday of raising another $200 million, you say another. We didn't do a first $200, but yeah, I was pretty excited. <laughs> Is that $245 total now? Okay. So, for people who don't know Divi, can you give us the elevator pitch on Divi and then same thing on your background? So, did it real quick. We've been around for three and a half years and really been
2: in the market for about a year and a half. So, not that long, but we sell, or actually, to sell we, we build a product that allows customers, specifically the small and medium sized businesses, to spend smarter. So, it's like a corporate card mixed with Expensify, mixed with the bill.com, and really kind of bring it all together. And it's a platform that allows you to see things in real time and kind of automate the, the ugly parts of the finance process. And then, from my background, yeah, I'm from Seattle. I moved to Salt Lake about three and a half years ago, really just before Diddy. been Did in the tech landscape for, I think this is my fourth startup. So not always from the ground up. Usually I join, you know, kind of a smaller group. So I've been doing these
1: startup sprints for a while and it's fun to be kind of at the, at the front end of this one. So it's been fun. So not a lot of folks have raised uh, $200 million bucks. Can you give anybody a lesson learned? How was this different than the last couple of raises or what kind of insight was different about this time?
2: You know, it's funny, I wouldn't say that the raise of a couple million versus like, you know, tens of millions versus 200 billion was fundamentally that much different. It's just a little bit more due diligence. Obviously, the the legal works a little bit heavier. But fundamentally, it's the same thing. You tell your story, you got to know your numbers, you got to know what your weaknesses are, how you're going to fix those weaknesses, what your go-to-market strategy is. At the end of the day, all VC really wants to know is, if I give you this, how do you turn it into 10?
0: You can answer that question when you're smaller, you can answer that question when you're bigger. Just do the same thing. As you're looking back at Divi, what do you think has been the biggest lesson you've learned so far? I mean, it's been really fast in a lot of great ways. And what have been some maybe lessons learned, both challenges? Yeah, so that, the,
2: you want challenges? Yeah, I'll give you the two of Like, hey, we nailed it here. But I also tell you, like, we, we really didn't nail it here. here. So I always start where we didn't nail it. I would say there have been times we, we probably hired faster than, than we should have in terms of a seniority role. So like we started the company, we had like a CMO on day one. And like two months into it, we're like, well, what are we doing? Like, we don't have a product. Like, why do we have a CMO? And we've made that mistake early on a few times. And so I think we've gotten better at it. Now it's probably tilted the other way where we probably have to get better at hiring more and more senior people. But I would say fundamentally, it's as you're a startup and learning what your growth rate is and your path, figure out who your PRs are, when do you make a PR? Because you can do it too slow, but you can also do it too fast. And that's probably the teeter totter balance that we're, we're still trying to figure out. Some of the things we've done really well, customer-focused, and what I'd like, let's, let's take Jeff Bezos as like the perfect example of like, it's about the customer. But you look at Amazon and fundamentally where they're at today is because 10, 15 years ago, they weren't making money and they were doing everything in their power to create this like no-brainer, customer experience. And if we get this customer and they like us, that man, for the next 30, 40 years, we can do incredible stuff. And I'll give a lot of credit to Blake, my partner. But together it was like, how do we make our offering a no-brainer? So huge challenge was like giving people credit, but you have to underwrite people, there's a lot of risk. There takes a lot of complexity, takes a lot of money from us. So we were giving up equity, giving up time to not do the shortcut round of like a debit card or cash card. And for us, it was a super important because now it's a no-brainer for customers. They get credit, it's free. You know, they get all these things. And I think we nailed it. I think we did the smart thing there by, by choosing to go, you know, do whatever it takes to make it a no-brainer for the customer.
1: You know, I remember when we first met and you started explaining all the things it did. At first, I was like, oh, that's cool. And then when I found out of all the ways to essentially pre-plan your expenses and not have a worry about giving a card to another employee, yeah. that's where like the light clicked on for me. For people who don't understand specifically that service, can you give people just a couple more details on what that looks like? So, you said when the light clicked on, I think one of the, my favorite things Van did it, is like I can pitch someone
2: and just tell them, we get not pitched, but just like, hey, here's what we do. And you could see the click there. And it might be a different click. We probably have four different things where it clicks. But I think what you're, what you're asking me to explain is we built, like, we basically took a credit card and said we were going to allow you to give a credit card to everyone on your team. So, as they're spending, everyone on the team from employee to manager to finance sees what's happening.
1: You could, that
2: and, you know if they're using a personal card and turning in an expense report but with did you could set a budget five of you can go to vegas everyone sees everything there's no expense report and i think once you go through that experience we're like oh this this is incredible i'm not like hoping i stay under budget like i'm staying under budget. so that's that's you know one of those things click on
1: so what's one of the other aha moments for people when when you're talking about it and Maybe they're not that impressed and then all of a sudden they get really interested. You know, it is funny because sometimes you explain like the one aha moment you're waiting for
2: the light to click and it does not And you're like, oh, dang, I usually get them here. Another one is is pretty cool is, is virtual cards. So right now, if you're a small business, you take your Amex card and you use it for everything, right? Every single Google, Facebook, Adobe, et cetera. So you have all these purchases, but you have one card number. So it's pretty insecure. And frankly, like that vendor can charge you as much as your credit has. So you can create a virtual card for one vendor and basically say after that vendor, you only have this much money to spend and I can block transactions that are over what I thought they were going to be. I can guarantee that if they get hacked, it's just one card I flip out. I don't have to replace all 50 of my other vendors. And that's really impactful if you're a small business owner and you're worried about your personal information getting out there,
0: trying to make sure that you stay in your budget. It's pretty It's pretty slick. That's probably my favorite feature. We just even had a vendor that we were working with and we didn't renew our contract with them. Yep. And so I just turned off the virtual card in Divi. And then two weeks later, they were like, oh, we accidentally ran, tried to run your card again, even though we could can cancel. I was like, well, you couldn't because I'd already canceled it. And so. if you've
2: been using your other card oh, and ran it. it yeah. And then you would have had to like call and try to figure it out. Yeah. We actually have a customer. He specifically does virtual cards on the annual contracts for a reason. He wants, oh, yeah, fine. Cause it's like a reminder to be like, oh, do I still want this? Do I still this? Yeah. And I think it's interesting with the SaaS economy, every single vendor out there from your cable to your internet, to every single product is saying, oh, just give us a free trial. Give us your credit card. And really it's because they want you to kind of forget about it. Yeah. And then it just like sits and then with virtual cards, you can get, get a little
1: more control on it. So for folks running other organizations, if you were to extract the principles of customer focus, what are those to you that maybe could be applied to other industries? So here's what that means for us. Like when we think of what product we're going to build or how much is this going to cost? Or we,
2: we don't say, well, what's convenient to us? What's convenient to the business? Oh, man, it'd be easier if we just did this or if we charge them this much. We really say like, what's, how's the customer going to react? Meaning when we give it to them and they can say, oh, this is tough. Or they're going to be like, oh, this is amazing. This is a no-brainer. And if we can't say it's a no-brainer and we can't say it's, it's delightful, then, then we have a hard time
1: shipping that. So. Where so many folks would completely subscribe to that, you know, but talk is cheap. Talk talk is cheap. Yeah, we've we've lost our shorts in some stuff. But my question is, um, what kind of thing do you have for an internal gut check of, are we actually living these principles? Or what, how do you help? I mean, yeah. you guys, what do you have, 200 staff out here now? Yeah. So, I mean, by the way, you can use internal, but like you can call two,
2: cut three customers and immediately know if you're totally at base, right? Like, just but you have to talk to them or at least you have to honestly put yourselves in their shoes and be like, okay, if I were them, what would I say? So interesting enough, when we started to be most, probably our first like 30 customers were my friends and family. There's nothing more naked than like giving your product to friends and family who are now paying for it, right? Or now using it in their business. So it's not just, they can't just say they like it. They, they can literally text you and be like, hey, this is a really bad experience. And I think that there's just an honesty of like, you have to be naked in front of the customer, whether you do that through a survey or I would suggest like talking to them, you can hear it, you can see it in their face. when you say, hey, I'm going to offer you this and you can see like a question mark, what, like that's weird. Or you can see the difference like, oh yeah, like if their eyes light up, if their questions come, I think you just have to be willing to just be naked, which means being like honest with the reception of what they say to you. By the way, a lot of people, you're right, talk is cheap. A lot of people say that, but like you have to have people in your teams that are willing to do that and reporting back to management teams. Because management super easy to be like, well, here we are in our management meeting. We're going to decide
0: to do this. You bring that out to the customer and have that come back to different conversations. Yeah, going along with that, and I think that's such an such an interesting point. When you look at, I think it's always a fine line in a startup and a company of like, you kind of have to get people to drink the Kool-Aid a little bit because you want them to be excited about what you're doing and passionate and see the vision. But also to do what you just said takes a little bit of like, hey, we, we need you to be honest. We, we need you to tell us when we're messing up. How do you encourage that kind of a culture, build that kind of a culture that actually is willing to say, we're not doing this well? People are never
2: honest if they don't have to pay for it. Yeah. So for example, you go tell your friends you are going to start something with an idea. I, I 100% guarantee they're all going to say that's a great idea all, all the time. Now ask them to invest in your company. Now ask them to buy your product. Different conversation, right? And it could be $5 style. Like, it doesn't have to be much, but once you ask for the wallet to come out, it brings up honesty. And I would say, like, that's where the rubber meets the road. Great idea. Go tell any friend about it. And they're going to be like, dude, that's a, that's a that's a great idea. Then say, hey, will you pay me $100 for it? And then they're going to be like, well, I mean, you know, maybe not. And then I think that's where it's like, that's what you have to, that's honesty.
0: As you guys look at your growth, what do you think has been the key factor in making that happen, like I think, as you look at how quickly Divi has grown, and and I'm sure for you it hasn't been as quick because you were working on it for years to get it to the point where you could launch it. What do you think is the key to that success? So, what's the key to our growth? Yeah,
2: we did spend you know three years, two and a half years, really building it out and kind of prepping it for for this growth. We really went out and tried to build something again that we felt could scale and was a no brainer, as I said. So. We're kind of prepping for the growth the whole time. I wouldn't say there's like a specific key. I think going back to that teeter-totter of like who to hire and when. We've hired awesome people at the right times, I feel, in the last year and a half. So guys like Woody, our VP of sales, Sterling Snow, or head of marketing and, and, and growth. And now they're just, you know, great leaders. It's like if you bring in great people, they're the ones that actually help you scale. I mean, Blake and I, obviously, are still very involved, but we're still working on vision and strategy. The scalers are your, are your hires that come in and really take the company to the next level.
0: How do you think, as you look at that, like people being the key to the, your growth and, and what you've been able to accomplish, how do you encourage or create a culture where great people want to come in, want to be involved, and are really excited about what yeah, you do?
2: Yes. How, like? how do you recruit great it is not easy, right? Great people have a lot of great choices. So that's the first thing you have to realize. Also, sometimes, and I think Qualtrics has set a pretty good bar here too, you have to be picky, meaning like you, if to hire someone great, they don't come along every second. So you have to say no to some really good people to wait for the great people. And I think, you know, so one is you have to have patience. You also have to know what great means. So define that to you. Like what does great mean? Because some people are going to be great in skill sets and maybe not others, right? So the way your company is looking for, that could dictate. The higher that is great, meaning you might hire someone that's great for your company, but it doesn't necessarily mean that person's always great for another company, depending on cultures,
1: depending on
2: products and fits timing. But yeah, I think you got to know what great means and go find that
1: person. Be willing to be patient for it. What do you think people are not asking themselves when they're when they're talking themselves into how great everything's going to be? What do you think they're not asking themselves? What are they not asking themselves? I've started a lot of dumb ideas.
2: I'm very clear on this. Everyone, as I said earlier, will be your friend and say it's a good idea. And I think like what you're not asking yourself is like, have I tested this thoroughly? Meaning like, has someone who, have I asked them to spend real money on what I'm doing? Have they given it, right? Until they've actually passed the dollar over. So I think there's just always that, oh, people love what I'm doing. This is great. And then they spend the next six months going down that path before they've actually asked for a wallet to be opened. And that money's been shared. I think that's a big mistake a lot of people make. The other thing I would say is when you're starting an idea and you're really going to go for it, meaning you're starting an idea to start a company, that's a lot of work. And you got to ask yourself, are you emotionally prepared? Are you physically prepared? Are you mentally prepared? And everything's going to take twice as long and cost twice as much. So you got to prepare yourself for that fight because it's going to be a fight.
1: Looking at the opposite end when when things start to really go well, because if I remember, you guys have had like, I mean, issued like $1.6 billion in credit or something. What's When you start you know, when you go from the garage and your buddy and the idea to now you start, you know, dealing with numbers of this size, w- what changes in your mind? Or what, what do you think folks might be unprepared for? I'm going to answer something first and then get to that one. This is my famous quote in Divi, by the way, this is, things
2: are never as good as they seem and they're never as bad as this. So there are times where I can go through some specific experiences. where, like, oh, shoot, we're not going to make it. I it's over. Like wrap it up, tell my wife, I gotta look for a job, you know, like it's done. But it's like, just get breathe. There's going to be a solution to this problem. Let's go figure it out. But at the same time, right? Like we had a big announcement this week, 200 million, you know, texts from everyone I know. And it's awesome. But at the same time, we have a list of fires we're trying to put out this, you know, like, you know, after this podcast, I got to go meet with a group to try to solve a big problem that we have. And so it's kind of like, always just be level-headed uh, when you're in a startup. It's a roller coaster. And if you try to ride the roller coaster of ups and downs too much, it's not for you. You have to be fairly level-headed and sometimes naive on both the good and the bad.
1: Is there anybody that you read or follow or sets an example? Like, are you into the Stoics or who who helps you think like that? Yeah, it's a great question. I
2: sound like an author. I don't think I follow like an author. I mean, Jason Lemkin was a guy I did read for a long time, really liked his stuff. And there's another really get great thought leaders like to Malcolm Gladwell. But I don't think that's where I would attribute that thought process. My family's full of entrepreneurs from like great-grandpa to grandpa to parents and brothers. And I think it's just watching them and other close friends go through it and just like the temperament of those that succeed. It's not the people that when they get too high, they start, you know, they get arrogant, they get cocky, they kind of, you know, it's a sports analogy, frankly, of like those people that feel like they've made it before they've made it it because again we raised 200 that doesn't mean we have made it means actually have a lot of work ahead of us so you know it's just kind of keeping that perspective on things well
0: and i think that's something that that i've seen in my own experience that's so hard to remember is i think especially in american culture we have this view of entrepreneurs being very like hot-headed and very like erratic but actually just this week i was reading about ev williams who started a medium and blogger and and everyone was kind of talking about how how level he is how do you so so kind of two questions you had a second part that you said you wanted to get to earlier and want to make sure you got
2: it was something about what founders aren't asking themselves or what are they not prepared for is that something like that so what yeah what are they not expecting when you start getting into the bigger numbers and the your opportunity is much, it's bigger. It's real. It's like people have been asking me about it. Like, oh, you know, it's, it's exciting. And it's like, actually on one hand it is because everything we wanted to have happen is happening. Like, that's incredible. Like, what a journey. And on the other hand, it's like, oh, now it's real. You know, like now the problem is real, right? The, the issues are bigger and the, there's more staff to deal with. So it's, it's, everything just kind of magnifies as, as you get bigger scale. And I would imagine it's the same as you keep going higher and higher and higher. It's like, it's the same problems. Like Jeff Bezos is having the same problems starter founders are. It's just at a much greater
0: magnitude. Than they are, so It's bigger bets. How do you now emotionally prepare for that? You were talking earlier about being ready to start a business now that you're looking at like, man, I, I have, I, you just jumped up a huge order of magnitude. How are you prepping yourself mentally, emotionally to handle that? So for me
2: personally, there's two things. One is like, I, so I'm married, I a couple kids and it's like, for me, that's my check. It doesn't matter if I'm, the crappiest job in the world or the best job in the world, if I'm rich or poor, being able to go home and just spend time with my family, that level sets everything. The bad days, the good days, it's just like a check of like, that's what matters. So for me, that's uh, it's important. The other thing is, you know, get time in for yourself. So for me, I mountain bike in the summer in the morning or if, or I'll go golfing, you know, at six, 6.30 in the morning. And it's like those those things allow you to just like level check. And again, if I go golfing at six in the morning and it's a, it was a good day yesterday or is a bad day, doesn't really matter. It just allows me to like recheck I'm like, okay, hey, this is what makes me happy.
1: Let's let's go to this, go back into the fire and show up for work and battle for another day. When you think about just your own personal lessons or your own like some issue you're passionate about or some subject of growth that, that matters to you that maybe people don't ask about all the time? Is there anything that comes to mind of like, man, this is, this is one that I like to talk about or this is one that's meant the most to me that maybe doesn't come up all the time?
2: I would honestly say like for me, yeah, there's not some other like third cause or, or thing that I, I'm, I'm super passionate about. For me, it really is about build, building something great. And Blake and I, my partner, have talked about this a lot, it's not about the money. It's about building just an awesome company that, like, that to me is what I want. That's what I want my quote-unquote legacy to be. would be like, oh, that's an awesome company The people love working for us. We built an awesome company together. People were rewarded for it. And our customers were happy. That's honestly, like, my passion. Because I actually love
1: what we're doing. So when I work for 14 hours a day, I'm, I'm okay with it. So besides Bezos and Amazon, who else do you look up to in that kind of a legacy? Man, I do love Bezos. I do love Musk, mainly because they're a little crazy. Like, they don't do everything
2: perfect, like 100%. Like, you know, they do some crazy stuff. But like, they're also willing to just like get rid of the status quo. And you're like, why are you guys thinking about roads? It should be underground tunnels. I'm like, yeah, that's a good, like, why not? You know, they're like, why can't we have spaceships to go to Mars? And that, frankly, to be a startup founder, to be a, a real startup founder, you're going to be a little nuts. So for me, it's, I I like the people that are a little nuts and and basically take some big swings because that's who changes the world. I mean, that's who changes and gets us outside of our way of thinking. It says, oh, wait a minute, why can't we do it that
1: way? And then to have the audacity to go do it, that's awesome. So anyone who follows that suit, and there's a lot of people that follow that path. One of my favorite questions is just asking people, what do you think is some of the best advice you've ever received?
2: So good habits go a long way. It's probably a really good piece of advice that I received actually from my partner, Blake, his dad, Mike, gave me that advice a long time ago and it's treated me well.
1: We'll assume people know about these cards that you guys do and, and how the system works. But for you, Alex, when you think about the choice to be right here in Utah, you know, Silicon Valley, all sorts of other places are pretty exciting. Why come from Seattle to here?
2: my partner blake and i are both from seattle actually so it's a very we could have easily said hey let's go back to seattle and start this Frankly, I moved to utah for the tech scene it was just because the ability to start something here is just more affordable than it is in seattle or silicon valley so that was a big part of it then when we got here i had the opportunity to do it and it's like let's keep it here we've got the talent we've got the accounting talent the sales talent we're getting much better at the tech talent you know i wouldn't say it's quite as strong as it is in seattle or, or san francisco but it's strong enough and you can see all these other amazing companies popping up and it's like we're creating this ecosystem let's go build
1: up. Thinking about the name of the show here, innovation and leadership, there's so many folks in the startup space that maybe get a little self-congratulatory about how, how innovative they are and how disruptive they are and stuff like that. What are some of your guiding principles? I mean you guys are obviously doing something right to to achieve this level of growth. What are what are some of your thoughts? I would say,
2: you know, as we think about innovation and trying to be like, all right, how do we quote unquote say innovative? Like we're competing frankly against like banks and card networks. So you know we're we're a classic mouse against the elephant. And for us, it's about speed and, and pace and just saying like, what you know, classic question, why can't it be done that way, right? So we came into this space with no background in banks or cards and finance. So frankly, the the, the the stack was, or the cards were stacked against us, but really it actually helped us because we were naive in a lot of this stuff. We're like, no, 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 like, this general experience out there for consumers does this. Why can't we do that for the business? Like, oh, Apple Pay gives you this. Why can't we do that for business? So for us, it was a big part about Almost being naive to some degree to
0: say, like, why can't we just go build it that way? And then we went built it that way. Going along with that, can you walk through the ideation process for you guys? I look at it and and being in startups the last decade, this has been like a huge pain for me. So as soon as I heard about Divi, I was like, oh, my gosh, finally someone is solving that problem. And I think it's such a I mean, you guys are disrupting. Very old industries, very kind of entrenched industries. How, how did you guys come through that process for people who, like earlier, have an idea?
2: Yeah. So one, I'm being honest, like being naive to some degree definitely helped. Yeah. So if you look like, why wasn't it solved? And it's like, well, just ask yourself, why didn't the bank solve it? Like, well, first off, they're not software companies. And second off, nothing's broken for them. They're making a ton of money as banks. And the only reason that we feel like we've quote unquote solved something is we actually took what the banks were doing and what the software companies were doing. We said, so we're going to do it together. So we've had to navigate the old banking systems yeah. and bring it to that quote unquote new age software. Like this software can solve all things like mindset. So there's some pretty big, Motes to get into our space specifically because of the finance, the regulation, the compliance. But yeah, it's the way every good product probably starts, which is like, oh, well, why why can't I do it this way? Or Man, I mean, I had this problem. How do I fix it? That's we were running our own small businesses, had the same problems, and we we're just like, no, we're going to do this.
0: What are some success stories you've heard? I think you guys are very customer-centric. As you talk to customers, what are some of the things that, that you're most proud of yeah. that Divi has enabled?
2: So Jane.com, local group here, which, you know, was like our first larger customer versus, you know, quote, unquote, real customer and they have like completely they've eliminated like a full couple days of their time like the guy will send us notes like hey i'm gonna go golfing today because i don't have to do expense reports you know it's kind of tongue-in-cheek but it's also like accurate so for me it's like that's awesome like we saved this guy 20 hours at minimum this month uh, of things that he was gonna do so that's pretty cool and we get a lot of you know people that come to us and they say hey I saved, you know, you told me a story, I think it was, you know, before it was off air that you saved money from a vendor that you were going to have to pay. But because you used our system, you know, they didn't charge you. We've had a lot of those. And it's just kind of like gratifying when you actually help people save money and time. That's the brief
1: up. You know, when we talked a little bit about fundraising, I'm interested in your experience. When you think about opportunities people are missing or or ways that people are going about fundraising wrong, what are what are some of the mistakes you see? Is it that they're objectifying the money source and they're not actually building a real relationship? Is it what what are some of the, the things that maybe other folks are missing? So I think Ian is both a huge opportunity and a huge crutch. So investors want the
2: biggest TAM possible. That's the biggest market they can go to. How do you go after the market? And, and that's a question they're going to ask. But some people will will use that as the crutch of like, well, our TAM is so big. If we just get 0.5%, we, you know, look at how big we can be. You have to have like a tangible, logical, how are you going to get that 0.5%? Meaning like, how is your product going to get into market in a way that makes sense? Because again, as an investor, like, well, why can't this incumbent do that? And if they have hundred X dollars that you have, if not way more, they're going to ask that question. And I think fundamentally, one thing that we did well is we said, look how big this market is, because it is every company in the planet can spend money and we're going to be in that market. But then we were able to say, okay, but here's how we're different. And here's how we're going to market. Here's how we're going to What to What was that answer? So for us, it was the freemium model, right? Because we figured out a model that we could get paid while having a freemium approach. We knew exactly who we were selling to, which is controllers. We knew the type of companies because we'd done a bunch of pre-demos to figure out who our market was. And from there, it wasn't actually rocket science. Like from a marketing standpoint, it was just like, okay, if we just let a hundred controllers know that we exist, then boom, like, you know, we're going to get 30 of them. A thing we did do that, which was unique is we actually took a hundred dollars on our cards, literally pre-loaded a card sent it to controllers as like cold mail. And said, so there's $100 in this card. Go buy anything you want. So they'd go to Amazon and buy something. And then we'd see the transaction because it was on our funds. And we'd be like, hey, we call them and say, how's an Amazon transaction? And they're like, pretty good, actually. You know, then we'd talk to them how like that, you know, works in the system and what we're doing. So we kind of use that as a tool to get out there and, and let people know like, hey, this is how the product works. And that was pretty fun. That's awesome.
0: Going along with that, what are some of the marketing shifting a little bit more to that space? I would love to hear some of the other things you guys have done to stay fresh, stay creative, because you are going up against such big players. How have you fought kind of that unconventional warfare to get more market share? So on one
2: hand, nothing crazy, right? You know, typical demand gen, typical email and and standard go-to events and things like that. I think for us though, it's about, as we think longer landscape. Now we're trying to build our brand. We're trying to define a new category. We're trying to do things differently than we did. Like the beginning was just like, get someone to talk to you, say close a deal. But now we're going to larger scope and going farther down the chain. It is thinking through like, okay, we got to sponsor that event, but we don't have $5 million to do it. So how do we go there? Right. And we did this at Silicon Slopes once the first year. And it was, we brought cookies with us and we brought dollar bills and we did different things to just be more guerrilla warfare than just, you know, top down money. And then also specificity can cut through dollars, meaning you don't have to go brand an entire event and tell everyone everything about you. If you have a specific message to your specific target and say, here's what we do and why it matters to you, the better you are at that, the more you can spend less dollars and people will respond.
0: Yeah, I think that's so great because I think so many companies see someone like a Nike as a startup, and they're like, "Well, let's market like Nike." Start- yeah, market. You're
2: not Nike. Yeah, yeah. They can go spend that that. twenty million on on you know fifty million, hundred million hundred million on something, and really, it's about a brand, and they have the ecosystem of Nike stores and Nike apparel to bring things in. We don't, right? As a small company. you and not do that, or you'll go out of business very, very fast. So you have to kind of slowly, slowly go from demand gen to brand
0: and, and try to build up together and making your marketing tactics are going to change as your company changes. What are some of the specific things that you're now saying, okay, we got a shift or things you're excited about to get into as you, as you continue to grow with this new so capital? So
2: now that we, we created, we went out and got a couple thousand customers and we were, we just went straight to the customer and said, okay, we're, you know, here's what we do. Sign them up. Now we got the attention of a lot of the channels, right? So now it's accounting channels, it's other bank channels. And it's like, all right, how do we help enable them to go sell it to their channels? So we had to go make noise and create attention. And now we've actually got to go execute through that channel. And I think that's where we're spending not all our time, but a lot of time over the next six months to figure out
1: how to do that better. So what's an example of that, of how you got attention? Well, attention meaning like we're here in
2: Utah. And we would go land customers that used to use Zions Bank or some other bank or whatever, and and like you land enough of them, and Zions is like, well, hold on, like what's happening in the market? And so if we have fifteen customers that were using them and now using us, it's like that causes attention, or. Like an accounting firm right so like you know there's squire and Orum. there's advanced cfo dave chase is the president of and you know they'll refer us to, or like we'll go to some of their customers the customers will hear about us they'll start telling them that we exist and then now it creates like well now they want to know and then it's like okay now dave you know he'll go tell his other customers that we exist so it's just getting your product into the hands of more people and then it's like oh conversations are starting the brand is starting to show up
0: Going along with that, how do you now spread, I think, so much of this is being in Utah where there's so much tech, there's so much excitement. Hopefully that's helped as you guys have grown. How do you now expand beyond and kind of become more of a national player? Yeah. So Utah
2: right now is like our sixth largest state i think so okay. we, we do have some pretty good yeah. outside but in terms of how does our brand grow i think yeah. it's partnering with those channels is a big one if you're partnered with a well-respected accounting firm in chicago then you know that will help your chicago press if you do it. if you go to a bank and work with a regional bank in texas you know they can get your brand out there and i think that's some of the stuff we're doing
1: can you talk about that because so many folks who haven't worked at a big accounting firm or don't know anybody who works at a bank, they can't just call their buddy. Any kind of principles for approaching those kind of partnerships of like, here's a tangible thing that you can do or.
2: Yeah, going back to what I just said earlier about cutting through the dollars with specificity. If you go to the person that you're trying to go after and you're like, here's what we do. Here's why it matters to you. And that's like specific and con free and it's impactful you can send LinkedIn messages, you can get to their assistant, you can get to someone that's going to be like, all right, let me go talk to him, right? So for us, it was a lot of, we'd go to the 10 people at a company we thought either were the decision maker or around the decision maker. And then we're like, this is what we do. This is why you guys have to talk to us. And that's the other thing. If you send a note that's like, hey, we're doing this. It's super nice. We'd love to get your opinion on it. Like those guys are busy. Like no one's going to respond to that. But you make a bold statement like, we will save you 10%. Like next year, if we work together, you guys can land 20% more customers. Whatever your bold statement is, I think, hey, you got to back it up by the way, but you know, make a bold statement, be specific, and then kind of shotgun that, that group of people with that specific state. I think you can go far.
1: Why do you think as tendencies, though, so many of us aren't thinking in terms of the value, like you, you make those statements, what's in it for them type of statements. Why do you think that that isn't as natural for humans? I think because humans are innately selfish, including me. I like I would say that's, I'm innately a selfish person, which is horrible to admit, but
2: it's true. And like when you read an email or when you send an email, you're like, oh look at this, I crafted this amazing email. Like wow, this is incredible. But like think about the person on the other side. They're going to receive 250 of these today. What do they care about your email? Like just because you wrote it or you built this company doesn't mean they care at all what's happening. And I think it's really hard to like put yourself in the shoes of someone else and being like, oh yeah, they have they are busy and they don't care. And I've got to get them to care in two sentences. And I think it's you know other people just kind of think the world they live in is so important. And of course, everyone else is going to know or hear or be interested in it. And that's just not true.
1: So where you guys are, grow- you know, go from 30 staff to 200 staff, the people who are helping you scale, what does it look like helping them think in terms of the customer interest? How do you guys make sure that that's yeah. out the bones? It's hard. Y- if you
2: walk around the office today, you'll see the TVs. They have our vision, our values and stuff like that. And again, <laughs> Yes, you can post values, but we try really hard to train on them every week. We have them on our TVs and embed it in our culture and it doesn't happen overnight. You can't just put it on the wall and it's all of a sudden happening. So for us, it's it's very much trying to tell stories of where we see it. We have Slack channels that talk about it and really just trying to bring it to the, the attention of the company of like, here's an employee that represented like what we wanted, what we want to see and, and, and try to just promote that as much
0: as we can. As you're looking at the future for Divi, what is the thing that, maybe kind of stretch goal your big dream that you're like i want to hit this i will give you two
2: again we say this internally even like we, we understand the arrogance of the statement but like we want to be the biggest company that's come out, ever come out of utah that's a big ask, right? You got quality, You got a lot of amazing companies, but for us, it's just actually a, an exercise of thinking big and an exercise of being like, why can't a company out of Utah be as big as a company out of San Francisco? And that's just something that Blake and I have beaten into the drum. And, and Blake, I've, I've always given him credit for that of like, no, 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 why not us? Like, think bigger. So fundamentally it would be like, how do we become the biggest company to ever come out of Utah? That would be the big audacious goal. I think just from a from a different perspective of that, of that lens, it would be, you know what, like, how do we change the way companies spend across the world? Like, how do we fundamentally change the way that companies spend and reconcile their money in a way that other people can copy us? And it might be ubiquitous, but we're going to be the first ones that say, this is how you do pre-spend this is how you budget this is how you spend at a, at a, as a as a group if in five ten years like that's just a de facto experience that will be really cool and, and, I, and it will be i think so someone might copy us like so you know some competitor might come out there and do it but i do think the experience that we're on and there's polishing and things we want to do with it but like fundamentally i really do think we're going to change how people spend money
1: you know what i didn't think about is for people let's say somebody's listening to this and they want to check it out is coming to the website the best place yeah go to getdb.com it's It's two v's right yeah
2: two v's so just getdb.com and yeah we'll show you the system again it's whether you're a company you don't even have to be in finance if you're a business owner if you're someone who spends money it's an interesting conversation to have you know if you hate doing the expense reports which i'm sure is basically everyone who's listening you know we'd like to say that we're a pretty good solution to solve that
1: another one I'm, i'm a real book nerd do you have any favorite book did you read the theranos one that just came out Badwood? Yeah, bad blood. I, I've heard great things okay. about it. I haven't
2: been through it. Yet. I'm an audible guy, so I listen when I travel, but that one was a good that was a good listen. It made me really nervous. I actually was like, wait a minute, when am I am I gonna get arrested? In, I'm trying to figure out like what I'm doing that you know might get me arrested. But honestly, I love actually explore books. So Into Africa, the Magellan book uh, across the world. There's some really cool books about just people that, you know, navigated Antarctica for the first time and and navigated the globe. Those ones actually are just a little bit unique that I I find really compelling.
1: You know, it's interesting how often folks get inspired from sources outside their lane. And yet, you know, like you hear, there's, there's folks that I really respect that I think of as like real hard-nosed business thinkers yep. who've said stuff like using fiction to be inspired, like looking at the, looking at the values that somebody in fiction lived as an inspiration. And it's, that's not a traditional source. What is it about the Explorer books that, get, that you enjoy? So Blake, my co-founder and I, we It's like an internal joke. We understand we're
2: old and we shouldn't, but we love Harry Potter. Like the two of us just grew up on it. We still talk about it. It's like our thing, you know? So it's like, it's Harry Potter. It's a kid's book. But at the same time, like you enjoy the story and like how it brings it about and you can apply that to your life. And for me, the the Explorer books is like, here's a person that didn't know that the Pacific Ocean existed. And they said to themselves, we're going to cross the globe. We're going to do it. We have no idea how we're going to do it. Or we're going to cross the Antarctic on foot. Never been done before. We're going to do it. That's a startup. Like you, you're like, I'm going to cross the globe. You have no idea how you're going to get there. You know, you're trying to get to India, but you don't know what's in between and you're going to face the Pacific Ocean, right? Like, that's what I talked about earlier. You are going to face your Pacific Ocean. It's happening. So prepare for it or don't go on the journey if you're not prepared for it. And I think when you read those explorer books, you're just like, they had no idea what was going to happen next time they stopped off on the land. They'd either get killed or they'd get trade and, I think that's a lot like a startup. You have no idea what the future is. You know what you're trying to do, but there's a whole lot of unknown and you just got to
1: go for it. I love it. Well, as we wind down here, maybe we'll end with uh, one of my other favorite questions. If you could go back and give a younger version of yourself some advice, what do you think it'd be? So the advice
2: that someone gave to me early on, and I kind of felt, follow, I, I followed it a little bit later and I think I would have, I wish I would have done better in school, but that's a separate thing. I would say like, learn before you earn. And what I mean by that is like, there's a lot of jobs. You can look at it pretty well. Your wife's going to be happy and you're going to be happy and you can get like a, if you're, but if you're trying to grow and be the best version of yourself, startup or not, like, I don't think it really matters. Go take the jobs, not because of the pay. I just feel like the last question you ask, it's like, who's going to give you the opportunity? Who are you going to learn from at that company or at that position that's going to teach you the most? What industry or vertical is growing at a pace that will create more opportunities? And I would I'd go back to myself again as, as a young person. I told you, you know, before we were on air that I used to work at a TV station out of school. And the second I walked into that building, I should have walked out. I should have said, cubicles, dark musty, no innovation, red tape, like this will teach me nothing outside of a paycheck. And that's the advice I'd give. Like if I'm younger, Go find the opportunities and jobs that are going to push you, they're challenge you, but they might not pay a ton. And that's okay. Like, who cares if you get paid in your finance? If you do it right, it matters about what you get
0: paid in your 30s and 40s. Well, thanks again for making so much time for us. You're tough. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening today to The Jay Davis Show. We'll catch you next time.